Key Walker sent an email last night to our small group that I was really thankful for, reminding us of the time change. Otherwise, the sermon would be an hour from now. I was thankful. I just, uh, it's criminal that that happens on the first Sunday of spring break, or the weekend of spring break, but we're here by God's sovereign design, so we're going to enjoy his word together. Let's start with prayer. I want to pray for a, um, a friend and his family who are with us, with, us, with us this morning from Teopisca, Mexico. The southernmost state in Mex- Mexico is Chiapas, and uh, Lance and Sarah... Keeling are right here with their two little lads, Joshua and Caleb, and uh, they are with us back from Mexico for a few months. They're going to be walking with us um, for a period of time as we sort of go through the training process for church planting. So um, it's a privilege having them here with us this morning. We're glad you're here, and uh, we're going to start by praying for y'all and pray for our time together in the Word. So let's pray. Lord, uh, it is a great privilege this morning to have a, a friend and a brother and his uh, family with us, uh, Lance and Sarah. We're just so thankful for the connection that you've given us with this family and um, thankful for their ministry in Teopisca and uh, just thinking of the faces and the names and the, the families that we met when we were there, just seeing the, the, um, the fellowship and the work and the basketball and um, the relationships and the, all the things that Lance and Sarah are so involved in down there. Just so cool to see you at work. Lord, we're burdened with Lance and Sarah for the church uh, to be strong in a place where it's weak and non-existent. Lord, it's uh, just heartbreaking to see so many church buildings and so many crosses and to see what seems to be so little biblical, gospel-driven, Christ-centered church. And Lord, we pray that, that you will just give us a sweet time together in these next few months with Lance and Sarah, that you will equip them, that you'll give us insight into how to walk with them, if it's your will, um, that we send them back as church planners to take the church where it's weak or non-existent for your glory. Uh, Lord, we uh, just grateful, grateful that they're here. Lord, in these next few minutes, as far as... Um, the word go and the sermon goes, we just pray for a time of exposition and time of illumination and um, a time to connect with a uh, really heartbreaking dark hour in the life of a man that you're going to build the church on. Lord, I pray that we can see ourselves in this man this morning, that we can hear the rooster crow, that we can weep bitterly if necessary, and thankful that we can be restored at a supper. Look forward to our time together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Trying to decide, I think what I'm going to have you all do this morning is um, turn with me where you can. I'm not going to, I'm going to a lot of places today, really. We're going to look at a guy named Peter, and we're going to sort of develop his story. And I don't want to leave it just to... John to do that. I want to develop his story with all the Gospels. So uh, let's, the Gospels are all together, and a lot of y'all, most of y'all know where they are. So uh, let's, let's do that together. I'd like for, to take y'all there. Luke chapter 5, let's start there. Developing a guy named Peter. 
one of the uh, disciples, apostles. We're going to develop his story and see really what does that have to do with us this morning. Luke chapter 5 is a great beginning. Verse 1, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they, so that they began to sink. But when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Great beginnings. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Great beginnings, a call of Peter on his life, and a beautiful response to Christ's greatness as they take in this catch. It's a good start for this guy named Peter. Turn to Luke chapter 9, just a few chapters over. <clears throat> Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James. All right, these three sort of became the inner circle for Christ. Peter and John, the sons of Zebedee, <clears throat> John, the writer of the book of John, and, uh, or excuse me, James and John, and Peter are in this inner circle. Jesus takes Peter and James and John and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Just a little insert. After engaging Peter, I've been reading First and Second Peter now in light of Peter's dark night that we're going to consider today. Second Peter is written in response to this transfiguration. If you want to read things in context, go and read Second Peter now in light of what I'm reading right now. Moses and Elijah appeared in glory and spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. <laughs> but when they became fully awake, <clears throat> they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Hey, Jesus. I mean, just imagine the, the knuckle-headed comment that's about to come out. Master, it's a good thing we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then the little 
cool insert, not knowing what he said. I mean, Peter, all right, he has great beginnings. It's cool that he's escorted into the inner, inner circle, Peter and James and John. He's taken up to this mountain of transfiguration. He sees as witness to one of the most remarkable moments in the life of the Christ ministry. First-hand witness. And it ends with, hey, let's build a tent for the three of y'all. And then the insert, not knowing what he said. Now, <clears throat> turn to Matthew chapter 16. And continue developing this guy, Peter. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 16. <clears throat> I'm going to begin in verse 13 for the sake of context. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, <clears throat> he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah are one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Simon Barjona, you are now Peter, Petros in Greek. It means rock. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Peter, you who I called... As a fisherman, you who recognized my greatness when I filled your boats with fish, you who I've called into the inner circle, you who oftentimes don't know what you're saying, it's you I'm going to build my church on. It's you I'm going to call and refer to now as the rock, you, Peter. Now turn to John chapter 13. <clears throat> story continues <clears throat> the context here for John chapter 13 is on the night of his arrest it's at the Lord's Supper is the context chapter 13 verse 36 Simon Peter said to him see Christ has been talking about going away going to a place where they can't go so Simon Peter says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three times. Peter's promise and Christ's heartbreaking prophecy. I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. After all, I'm Petros. After all, I'm the one that you're going to plant the church on and start the church on. 
The Luke account, Peter says, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. In Mark, he says, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And in Matthew, Jesus, some more details, Jesus says, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And to this, Peter answered, though they all fall away because of you, Jesus, I will never fall away. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. When you take in all these accounts and you take in all these details, it just is such bravado. It's like a proud arrogance from this guy. Such confidence. I'm going to call it faith in his faith. After all, I'm Petros. I will never fail you, Jesus. I will never bail on you, Jesus. All may fall away, but not me. Because I am Petros. The Luke account says that Jesus said to Simon, he said, Simon, Simon, behold. Our version would be, look here. Look here, Simon. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. I wonder if in Christ's mind at that moment he thought, but I hope your faith and your faith fails. I pray that your faith may not fail, but I hope your confidence in yourself falters and dies a fiery death. Now remember Peter. And I tell you, Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, hell shall not... I keep talking hail, like hail. <laughs> prevail and hail, they go together. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, frankly, I would expect those sort of commitments that he made, those sort of promises that he made to Christ if he's Petros. I would expect that he would make those sort of strong and brave commitments if he's the guy that Christ is going to build the church on. Let's turn to John chapter 18 and see what happens. John chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you've given me, I've lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. 
So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. We believe that that's John. John is often referring to himself as a third person in his own book. So we believe that this is John right here. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple, likely John, since that disciple was known to the high priest. He entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Quaint. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who've heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. The rock in doing so well. The man that Christ is going to build the church on isn't doing so well. In fact, the gates of hell are looking like they're doing pretty good. Prevailing against the supposed rock. Let's take in some of these details. John escorts him into the courtyard. It seems like it's John that's this disciple, unmentioned disciple here. John apparently knows the high priest, so he goes to the maiden girl who's guarding the courtyard, or standing there at the gate, not guarding necessarily. It says, hey, Peter's with us. Let him in. As Peter passes this maiden, mind you, she says, hey, you're one of his also, aren't you? And to the scary maiden, Peter replies, I am not. That's the first denial. Then he goes to warm himself in the courtyard. Jesus is being questioned and beaten and bound. And Peter, on either side of this section where he's being questioned and slapped around and bound, it says, and Peter warmed himself by the charcoal fire. It's an interesting contrast between the guilty and the innocent, where the true innocent gets beating, gets bound, and gets hauled off to the next round of the same 
while Peter, the guilty, gets a warm charcoal, quaint fire. The Matthew account, just listen. The Matthew account gives us some more details about these second and third denials. Matthew chapter 26 tells us, And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth, and he again denied it, this time with an oath, and said, I do not know the man. Another scary maiden. And Peter, Petros, the rock, denies it this time with an oath. An oath in this time was to call down on something sacred to guarantee what someone said is true. Peter taught, excuse me, Christ taught on oaths where Peter would have heard it on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, referring to something sacred, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil or the evil one. It can be translated. And here Peter denies it a second time with an oath. Don't you wonder what he swore against? What his oath was against? I make my oath against Heaven, that I don't know the man. I make my oath against the temple, that I don't know the man. I make my oath against the altar, that I don't know the man. I wonder what sacred thing he referred to. And then the third denial. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. He was a Galilean. It would be like your country boy accent. Betrays you. You're with the rest of these guys from the country. And then this time he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. The first time, I don't know the man. The second time, I make an oath against the temple. I don't know the man. The third time, he invokes a curse on himself and swears, I do not know. Know the man. To invoke a curse on yourself in this time would be to call down God's wrath on you if you're not telling the truth. Think of the irony. Paul saying, God, pour out your wrath on me if I'm lying. You hear that, servants and maidens? I call down God's wrath on me if I'm not telling the truth. But God says, or we might imagine, he says, Simon, Simon, I think I'll pour it out on my innocent son instead. I think I'll spare you, and I will make him your substitute and pour it out on him instead. And then the Luke 22 account gives us yet one more detail. Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he's still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord 
Look, listen, don't turn, listen. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Across the courtyard, face bloodied maybe, bound at least by this point, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. A look across the courtyard from Peter's substitute, from his Savior. A look from the one true innocent to the one clearly and audibly guilty to the one clearly and audibly guilty the soothing crow of a rooster and appointed but oblivious rooster. I've been wrestling with why this is so developed in all the Gospels, an especially dark and heartbreaking account from a man that we would look to for better. Why do all four of the Gospels develop this story about Peter from the the rock that Christ is going to build his church on? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three indicate that at the rooster's crow, he went out and wept bitterly. I suspect that Peter expected more of himself as well. But it seems God wants us to see what Jesus wanted Peter to see on that dark night, that you're going to need what I'm about to go do. You're going to need it, Peter. I know you think you're all that, but you're going to need what I'm going to do in these next few hours. I want to make a side note to a precious few of you, and I mean precious few. A precious few of you are blessed with a daily agony with your own sinfulness. A precious few In your life, sin is right here all the time. You wake and it's right here. You go to bed and it's right here. All the time you are focused on your own sin. This precious few need to be daily and weekly reminded of his finished work. You need to be reminded of his very last words on the cross. It's finished. That precious few needs to be reminded that your debt was nailed to his cross. That precious few needs to be reminded that by a single offering, he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This precious few has a weird and painful blessing of having your sin right here all the time because it creates in you, if directed toward the cross, it creates in you a daily desperation of worship. That you may not realize it, you precious few, but that is a blessing. Thank God for that awareness of your sin in your own life. And make that beeline for that cross. Most of us, though, most of us, though, don't live there. Most of us don't live with our sinfulness right here. Most of us don't wake with it and go to sleep with it all the time right here. Most of us would boast with Peter 
Jesus, I'll never bail on you. I got this. Jesus, you can count on me. All may fall away. Not me. Most of us struggle, I fear, with the other place of thinking that we're pretty strong and we're pretty special. Most of us rest here, rest, thinking that we're doing pretty good from day to day and that we aren't really, in general, all that bad. That's where most of us live. And we might even think that we're like Peter, Petros. You can count on me, Jesus. And most of us, I believe, need this bittersweet lesson in this dark hour that Peter received this man on whom he'll build the church. Most of us need this dark night, what Peter experienced to be useful for anything. Peter's experience was a brave and bold promise. I got this, Jesus. I will never bail on you. And then hours later, a scary night from scary maidens. Run for your lives. And then a quaint charcoal fire while his substitute is beaten and questioned and bound. Most of us need what Peter experienced. An audible reminder of our sin. Why didn't he pick a dove? Why not something a little less obnoxious? How about a a goat or a lamb bleating? Or a horse neighing? Nay. Obnoxious and ugly and rude like our sin relative to His holiness. Man, it's the appropriate audible why not an owl why'd you have to pick a rooster I wonder if Peter ever heard another rooster crow that he didn't cringe thinking about this night I was talking with Greg Fields about this earlier in the week and we were laughing about what the other disciples must have done they're playing tricks on Peter and stuff they see Peter walking around, around you know walking across Jerusalem and around a corner Peter's like ah. Oh, Man, this rooster, obnoxious and loud like sin. This night apparently left this man changed. This man needed this night. I told you I was reading First and Second Peter now in light of this night. Turn to First Peter. I want to show you a couple of passages now in light of this night. In light of this dark night. <clears throat> Three different passages. There's a lot more, actually. But three primary passages I want to show you here in First Peter. Read now in light of this dark night. Read now in, in light of a guy that denied Christ and then denied Christ with an oath and then denied Christ swearing, calling down curses on himself. 
1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He tried to devour me. He demanded to sift me like wheat, and he sure did his best. Satan is no joke. Peter likely walked away, apparently walked away, an expert on the ways and the wiles of Satan. Look a few chapters over in chapter 2, verse 22. Read this now in light of this dark night. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. I heard his testimony. While I'm denying him, I heard his testimony. While I'm warming myself by the fire, I heard his testimony and I heard no deceit in his mouth. When he was reviled, smacked in the face by a soldier, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. I was there. I saw it. I was warm on that cold night. And I watched it. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins, including my sins, of denying him three times boldly, calling down curses on myself, appealing to an oath. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed as I was healed. By what he did that night. You read it now with a new set of eyes. In light of that night. Look at chapter 3 verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. I saw it. I was there. He suffered once for sins. The righteous for the lying, denying, oath appealing, swearing, curse calling, unrighteous. I was there, I saw it. The righteous died for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Man, this guy had a first row, front row seat, first-hand account to the righteous dying for the unrighteous. He becomes an expert in that based on what happened this night. There are other accounts. I encourage you to read First and Second Peter now, especially First Peter, in light of this dark night. But turn to Romans chapter 7. I want to show you another guy that apparently heard the rooster crow. Romans chapter 7. Paul is teaching the Romans on the, the law and sin and grace, and he's explaining how all this works. And Paul goes into a detailed description of his own sin. So detailed, in, in fact, that it, you can just almost hear the rooster crow behind it. Paul says in verse 14, I am of the flesh sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate.
I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do, what, do not do what I want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Do not do the good that I want, but the evil is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I do what, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He goes to the place where Jesus wanted Peter to go. What, what I'm about to do for you in these next few hours, you're going to need. Hear the rooster echo in your head as you watch me go to the cross for you, Peter. You do the same, Paul. Keep it in view. You need to hear the rooster crow. <clears throat> Someone gave me a Christmas gift this last Christmas. Uh, it's a book called The Valley of Visions, a collection of prayers and, and uh, writings from Puritans. Here's a few of them. Richard Baxter, David Brainerd, John Bunyan, Thomas Watson, Charles Spurgeon. That's just a few of them. Listen to some of these writings from some men that heard the rooster crow. It is a good day to me when thou givest me a glimpse of myself. Sin is my greatest evil, but thou art my greatest good. I have cause to loathe myself and not to seek self-honor, for no one desires to commend his own dunghill. Sound like a guy that heard the rooster crow, right? My country, family, church fare worse because of my sins. For sinners bring judgment in thinking sins are small or that God is not angry with them. Let me not take other good men as my example and think I am good because I'm like them. For all good men are not so good as thou desirest. Are not always consistent. Do not always follow holiness. Do not feel eternal good in sore affliction. Show me how to know when a thing is evil. Here's the next one. It's called, Yet I Sin. Thou art good beyond all thought, but I am vile, wretched, miserable, blind. My lips are ready to confess, but my heart is slow to feel, and my ways reluctant to amend. I bring my soul to thee, break it, wound it, bend it, mold it. Unmask to me sin's deformity that I may hate it, abhor it, and flee from it. The next one's called The Dark Guest. The line in it that really struck out there, stuck out to me said, I have a secret motive to, my, to I my name in all I do. Anybody else? It's my idea. 
That's my quote. These guys heard the rooster crow. Here's one of my favorites. I'm going to read the whole thing. O God, may thy spirit speak in me that I may speak to thee. I have no merit. Let the merit of Jesus stand for me. I am undeserving, but I look to thy tender mercy. I'm full of infirmities, wants, sin. Thou art full of grace. I confess my sin, my frequent sin, my willful sin. All my powers of body and soul are defiled. A fountain of pollution is deep within my nature. There are chambers of foul images within my being. I've gone from one odious room to another. Walked into no man's land of dangerous imaginations. Pried into the secrets of my fallen nature. I am utterly ashamed that I am what I am in myself. I have no green shoot in me, nor fruit, but thorns and thistles. I'm a fading leaf that the wind drives away. I live bare and barren as a winter tree, unprofitable, fit to be hewn down and burnt. Lord, dost thou have mercy on me? Thou hast struck a heavy blow at my pride, at the false god of self, and I lie in pieces before thee. Thou hast given me another master and Lord, thy son Jesus, and now my heart is turned toward holiness. My life speeds as an arrow from a bow towards complete obedience to thee. Help me in all my doings to put down sin and to humble pride. Save me from the love of the world and the pride of life, from everything that is natural to fallen man, and let Christ's nature be seen in me day by day. Grant me grace to bear thy will without repining, and delight to be not only chiseled, squared, or fashioned, but separated from the old rock where I have been embedded so long, and lifted from the quarry to the upper air where I may be built in Christ forever. It's a collection of writings from men who heard the rooster crow. Peter did. Paul apparently did. Our Puritan fathers did. Do you? Do you really? Do you have an awareness of your own sin? Do you ever feel that penetrating gaze across the courtyard where Christ looks at you? Where you know, Lord, I have failed you. That's a divine mercy. If you felt that gaze and if you've heard that rooster crow. What happens if you haven't heard it? And if you don't hear it? Well, you're going to have a sense of spiritual entitlement first. You're going to say, you know, God owes me this job. God owes me this wife or this husband. God owes me this cure because I've been a good boy and I'm a special little snowflake. You're going to be easily offended. Because you're going to think more and higher of yourself than you ought. Can you imagine Peter without this night? He would have been a monster. Let me tell you something. Churches and preachers and pastors that run off the roosters. 
we'll have churches full of monsters. We ought to post one in here. Feed him weekly. Just let him crow at will. Because he's got one of us, likely all of us, at any given crow. Churches that run off the roosters will be full of these monsters that Peter would have been without this heartbreaking, difficult night. What happens if you have heard the rooster crow and you do hear the rooster crow? You see how low grace reached and you love it. You see how low it reached and you enjoy it and your sin sends you running to the cross. You understand and love passages like while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You cherish those realities. You understand and love passages like the righteous died for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. If you hear the rooster crow and you are in tune with your sinfulness, you enjoy the cross daily, not as a one-time decision, but as a daily pursuit and hope and delight. It's not just this historical event. It becomes a daily reality. It becomes your handhold. You might write songs like, I need thee every hour. And I think you long for church, real church. If you hear the rooster crow, you long for a gathering of broken rocks. Gravel, we'll call ourselves. Gravel. You long for a people fueled by wonder, tempered by humility that righteous should die for the unrighteous. And lastly, I think you long for the dinner. You long for the supper. We're going to race to the supper. And I'm going to share, thankfully, the end of the story, or at least the restoration of this heartbreaking night for this man named Peter. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing Unrestored, Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm going to go isolate myself away from this problem. I'm going to run from it. Maybe I'll catch some fish and that'll make me feel better. And they said to him, you know what? I think we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Appropriate, isn't it? They caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know who it was. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, I bet emphatically, no. <laughs> I bet they're wondering, who is this joker? Calling us children, first of all. And why is he bothering us? We're fishing. We're sulking. 
He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, John, therefore said, Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself in the sea. They're about 100 meters from shore. And he's looking around, you guys can't paddle fast enough. I need to get to my Jesus. I need to run to my Lord, swim. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it already and bread. Jesus is making them supper, breakfast in this case. We'll call it supper. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and eat. Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Restored over breakfast. Let's have breakfast together. Let's knead him together. Let's dine with him on the seashore. Let's eat. Y'all need to know that the good news is not that you're a special little snowflake. That's not the good news. The good news is that you're not, but he made a way. He made a way in spite of yourself. That he loves you in spite of yourself. That the righteous died for the unrighteous. That's the good news. Let's take and drink and enjoy that together. In reading First and Second Peter, I, I found a passage that I, I remember reading a long time ago. It's been some time since, I've, since I read it, where Peter refers to Paul's writings as Scripture. It's passages like that that have connected to the canon, the Bible that we hold today, why something's in there. When Peter refers to something Paul wrote as Scripture, it's not just saying, hey, remember that letter Paul wrote, but that's Holy Scripture. And I thought about Peter's reference to Paul's writings 
as Scripture tell me that Peter read Paul's writings. That Peter would have read this passage, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Peter would have said, show enough. That's right. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That must have been what Peter experienced on the seashore, the Sea of Tiberias, with a belly full of fish, enjoying restoration with his Lord. I hope that you live in that place, but we need that tutor of the law that shows us what we've been delivered from. We need to hear that rooster crow. If you don't hear it, you forget it just becomes news. If the gospel's just become news for you, then read your Bibles. Start with Romans, man. That's a great place to go. When you read the first few chapters of Romans, you'll see that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's what Peter did. He called, called it, God, put your wrath on me. That's what would have happened to Peter but for Christ. He would have got his wish. If I'm lying, pour your wrath out on me. That's what would have happened, would have happened to him but for Christ. Read Romans. Read that no one's righteous, no, not one. Read that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And read that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You got to connect all those satellites. You got to connect all those dots before it's really good news, before it changes your week. And changes your life. I hope we did that today. Little uh, announcement before we dismiss. This is spring break coming up this week, so we're not having any Wednesday night activities here. Um, so I encourage you to spend time with your family or travel or do whatever you might want to do on Wednesday night because nobody will be here. Um, and then next week, right after corporate worship, that's what this is, uh, we're going to have a, a lunch for Biola. Uh, Biola is, is going to be going back to Nigeria uh, soon, and uh, this is our last chance for us to enjoy her and uh, show her how much we love her by spending some time with her, breaking bread together. So small groups will get with you to figure out uh, who's bringing what, and uh, we'll ask small group shepherds to kind of take the lead on that. I think somebody will be, Ginevra's kind of driving that, so um, you'll get word about that this week. So plan on that next week. Be fun. Y'all stand and we'll dismiss. God, thank you so much for our time together in the Word. I'm thankful for the penetrating, piercing, illuminating instrument that it is. Lord, I'm thankful for this vivid imagery, complete with an audible, that reminds us of our need for what Christ completed in those hours. Lord, we celebrate with Peter on a full belly of fish restoration in Christ. We celebrate the fact that there is now, therefore, no more condemnation for those who are in him. Lord, we marvel that you would be mindful of us. We marvel that grace should reach so low. We're ravaged by it, scandalized by it, thankful for it. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great Sunday.